Well, good morning, church. Morning. I look around and I feel like we're the remnant, the faithful few. This morning, the remnant. Good on us, eh? Fantastic. Well, good morning. My name is Jess. For those of you that may not know me, although as we've got the remnant here, you probably all know me. Um, So totally fine. Uh, It's my pleasure, as Pam was saying, uh, to prep our hearts for the season of teaching we're about to go into. And so um, we spoke last week and Pam um, alluded to it this morning. We're about to head into a time where we're talking about uh, the disciplines of Jesus and discipleship. And so this week, today, sorry, I was just telling Jack, I've been on decaf for ages and this morning I decided to have a real coffee. I'm super jittery, like (laughs) we're going to have speed prayer, speed sermon, like get it done. Um, No. I'm fine. It was a night. It was a night. Anyway, so today, today we are going to take just a small pause and have a look at what discipleship actually is and um, ask ourselves um, some questions around this. And so I, I want to start with a question of this. Am I a disciple of Jesus? A good question to ask when I'm about to speak about discipleship. Um, am I a disciple? And maybe it's a good question for you to ask too, if you're a believer of Jesus. um, Ask the question, are you a disciple? And how do you know? If your answer is yes, how do you know that you're a disciple? Uh, And if you're in here today and that question doesn't really apply to you, maybe the question that you can ask today is, well, is becoming a disciple of Jesus the way that I find real life? You might be anywhere on the spectrum of, those, of that question, but today I'm asking myself, am I a disciple of Jesus? And I was prompted to ask this question sometime during my uh, maternity hiatus last year where I completely stopped doing anything other than being a mum and a wife for a year. And it meant that my life slowed down significantly. Uh, For anyone that knew me prior to becoming a mother, I had a very unusual, busy kind of a life. Um, But as I was pondering on this, um, this slowdown, I was thinking about my service in church. And I came to this shocking realisation that whatever my gifts and whatever my talents are, they do not make me anything like Jesus. Now, that might be glaringly obvious to you, but it was news to me. And for someone who has grown up in the church and who has been actively serving in church since I was about 14 years old, and prior to COVID, those five years, I was a full-time itinerant worship in worship ministry. And when you're in that space of church and ministry, it's easy to think that my church activity is the same as being a disciple to Jesus. And it's easy to think that that, because I'm busy with Jesus things, that I'm somehow intentionally allowing him to make me more like him. And it's not the same. Being a disciple of Jesus is, um, some say, is best described as being an apprentice of Jesus. It means that there is a deliberate intention to be with your teacher, become like your teacher, and then by the grace of God, 
do what he did. And the question we are going to continue to come back through this, to, the, to through the sermon today is, am I a disciple of Jesus? That is my hope, that you would come back to that question all throughout the, the time that we have today. Am I a disciple? And uh, how we're going to do that today, how we're going to uh, move through the sermon, is we're going to have a look at three different tests texts that Jesus, uh, where Jesus had interactions with people about discipleship or being a disciple. And the three categories of people fall into, and these three categories are this, they wanted to follow, they were called to follow, or they claimed to follow. These are the three different interactions that Jesus had in these passages. Now, by no means is my sermon today an exhaustive example of what a disciple is. It is just a stop and a pause for us to ask the question before we start, before we go any further in these teaching series, am I a disciple? So let's pray and we will get into it. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that it speaks. I thank you, Father, you want to speak to us. And I pray as everybody who sits here and asks the question, am I a disciple? I pray your Holy Spirit rushes in and brings revelation and and shines light in areas that we're holding back from you, Lord. And I pray that you would touch every heart with a new revelation of who you are. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Our first group of people, those who wanted to follow. Those who wanted to follow and, um, just spoiler alert, wanted to follow. This is what Jesus expected of them. They had to set a new priority. If you wanted to follow Jesus, you needed to set a new priority. And we're having a look at the passage of Scripture in Luke 9. Um, and we actually touched on this passage a couple of weeks ago, but it's such a powerful illustration of what Jesus requires when we're called that we are visiting it again. And it's Luke 9:57, and it says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. What is interesting here is that all three men in this passages in this passage were willing to follow. They wanted to follow Jesus. They were eager to follow him. And yet Jesus' response is somehow harsh. It's somehow blunt. What is Jesus doing here? He sounds very insensitive to their needs. But let's take a look at the first man. He says to Jesus, whilst Jesus was walking to Jerusalem, which is an important um, feature to note of the text because Jewish people believed the Messiah was going to come in glory in Jerusalem. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem. And as he passes by, this man says, I will follow you wherever you go. And it sounds like a noble statement. I've probably sang that a thousand times in my life. And yet Jesus shoots back a reply, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Why? 
Because behind that good intention statement, Jesus discerns a wrong heart attitude. This man is looking for a Messiah who is coming on earth in glory. But Jesus is replying, do you know what kind of saviour I am? Do you know what kind of saviour I am? I'm not the saviour who comes and triumphs on this earth. I'm not the saviour who comes in glory. I am a saviour who comes and triumphs by death. I am a saviour who comes and wins by laying down my life. And Jesus is speaking straight to something in this man's heart that he sees. He says, I see you have a home. I see you have possessions, a standard of living, which are all, all good things. But are you willing to put those after me? Because if you come after me, it means a life that will ultimately cost you your life. And are you willing to put me before making sure all those things are taken care of? Now to the next two men, he says, one of them, follow me. And the other says, I will follow you. But both give a reason why they can't follow just yet. They want to. They really want to follow Jesus, but they can't follow just yet. And when you look at the passage, there's some pretty good reasons, right? If I gave my boss, I can't make it today, I've got my family funeral, or we would find it very um, harsh if my boss said, no, sorry, can't do that. But Jesus uh, shuts it down. Is there anything wrong with having a funeral for your father? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with wanting to say goodbye to your family, I'm off for life? Absolutely not. Then what is the problem here, Jesus? Why the harsh demeanor towards these people who want to follow you? And the problem is, is in the language. Yes, Jesus, but first. Yes, Jesus, but first. And how often we do this to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I've received the revelation, but first, I'm busy. But first, I must do something else. And our reasons like these men can seem admirable, admirable reasonable, upstanding, or even praiseworthy. But if there is any but firsts before Jesus, we are, he says, we're not fit to be a disciple. And it seems very reminiscent of some Old Testament language that says, you shall have no other but firsts but me. You shall have no other gods but me. And so those who are wanting to be called, those who want to follow, must set a new priority. Jesus also uses some kind of cryptic language here when we see him say, let the dead bury the dead. Weird statement. At first glance, it's very unusual. However, we know Jesus isn't a dumb guy. We know that he, uh, he knows those that are physically dead cannot get up and bury those who have just died. And so he's referring to something else. He's referring to their spiritual condition. Because he's saying, if you could really see me, if you could really hear me, if there was any kind of spiritual life in you, you would not say a but first. It takes spiritual deadness to deny that I would come first. Anyone who says, I get that Jesus thing, I kind of intellectually ascend that Jesus is the saviour, but first I have a five-year plan, then you don't get it. 
If there is a priority above Jesus, he's saying there's a spiritual deadness in you. You don't see me for who I am. You don't hear the words of life calling you forward. There's something that needs to be brought to life by seeing who I really am. Because if you saw me, there are no but firsts. It is Jesus. So those who want to follow must set a new priority. Am I a disciple? Am I living the truth of a new priority? No but firsts. The second group are those who are called to follow. And for those who are called to follow, um, what we actually get is a brand new identity. It's something that we're going to live out of. It's something that we are. And to um, understand this a little further, we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And it says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now, um, this passage does seem to just emphasize my first point. I get it. But it adds a whole other layer to what a disciple is. John Mark Comer says that discipleship is not something we do. It's something we are. We are a disciple. You can't, disi- you can't discipleship anyone um, the same way you can't Christian anyone. You just are a Christian. You are a disciple. It is an identity that you take on in Christ. But in this passage, when Jesus uses the word life there, it is not the word life for physical life, which is bios. Uh, it is the word uh, life for inner self. It's the word, the Greek word psyche, which you'd, you'd find that it's a familiar word to us in our language, but it, it is the word for the inner deep self. If you want to find who you are, you find it by losing yourself in me. And so Jesus is speaking about that inner layer, the core of who we are, and says, if you want to find that, you do not find it the way the world says that you do. You you don't find it by trying to save yourself. The only way you find that true identity is by losing your life to me. And in that moment, when we lose our life to him, we find that we didn't lose anything at all. We actually gain a brand new reconstructed identity according to the word in which we were created. I don't think it's um, hard for us to see that we live in a world that is infected with the Western obsession of finding yourself. And the way that that usually goes is the, the party line is find your deepest desires and follow that, do that. But there's a conundrum there because some of your deepest desires might actually conflict each other. I have a deep desire to eat hot chips every meal. I also have a deep desire to fit my clothes. Which is the deepest desire? Which is the true desire? Chips. (laughs) But there's a conundrum. See, if you find, if you actually find the way that the world says, find your deepest desire, do that, and for 10 years you build your identity on that deep desire, and then after 10 years, that desire is kind of fizzling. What happens to you? What happens to the identity then when the desire fades away? It's fleeting. 
And when Jesus is speaking about gaining the world, I feel like he's speaking directly to us in the 21st century. He says, anything that the world can give, it is fleeting. You build your life on anything that the world gives and it is radically unstable. You wanna build it on status? Then you have to keep that status. Exhausting yourself to make sure your status does not change so your identity is intact. You want to build it on your family? Well, you have to make sure that that family unit never changes. Sickness doesn't touch it. They don't move away. You, keep, you make sure that your identity can't be changed because your circumstances change. You want to build it on wealth? Make sure there's no global recession. All of it radically unstable. And if you try and build your life that way, When things change or something threatens the very thing that you are building your identity on, you aren't just unhappy, your whole world falls apart. The very essence of who you you are falls apart because it is falling apart. And Jesus says, build your life on the rock, the only thing that that cannot be shaken, that will not be taken away, and you will find your true self. But if you do it on anything else but me, it is like the man who built his house on the sand and when the wave came, the very foundation of who they are are swept away and we are lost all over again. Sorry, Billy. So what is Jesus offering here? As a disciple, he offers us a brand new identity not one that tosses and turns in the waves, but it becomes, uh, we we find who we're meant to be because we were built for relationship with Jesus. Am I a disciple? Is my identity completely and utterly built on Jesus and in Jesus? Timothy Keller, who inspired a lot of this teaching today, says this, Discipleship is not just bending your will to God's will. It's not a mere, let's do this, but it's a melding. It's melding your heart into a whole new shape. And our last group, those who claim to follow. Now this, is, uh, this passage, I, it's such a heavy passage to teach on. It's so convicting, but I cannot escape how much of a mirror it is And so I feel like, let's go there and be communally convicted. The remnant. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The first thing to note in this passage is that these people were excited to see Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, here he's coming, quick, 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 quick. It was Lord, Lord. When a word is Uh, said twice in the scripture, it is emphasized. There is an excitement. There is an emphasis on that. Lord, Lord. These are the kind of people who would have been emotional in the worship service and moved by the sermon and busy at church. They knew about the Lord and they were excited at his arrival. 
Secondly, these people were obviously committed to working in their gifts of prophecy, of casting out demons. Um, Maybe they were preaching or worship leading or on the host team. Who knows? But they were busy doing things under the name of Jesus. And somehow Jesus says, I never knew you. It's not I knew you once and then you walked away. I just never knew you. Which tells me there's a way to knowing Jesus that is much deeper than a service level. That the way of being a disciple actually invites you into a life that doesn't just claim to know Jesus or do things in his name, but it actually cultivates being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. So what does this passage say is the way of the disciple? Well, it's there in the first line, it's the one who does the will of my father. And it brings me back to my initial pondering at some time last year that none of my gifts actually make me like Jesus. Not the serving, not the preaching, not the working in a Christian workplace, no amount of teams I'm on actually can substitute an intentional and active apprenticeship to Jesus. An example from scripture that can be found in 1 Samuel 15 is this. King Saul, he was a king of the Israelites. God asked him to go and uh, capture the Amalekites. And then when he got there, he was under the instruction to completely Uh, destroy everything. Nothing was to be left. But Saul saw the livestock when he got there. And there was some good cows and some good sheep. And so he destroyed everything else but the good cattle he, he decided to bring home with him. And when the Lord saw this, he sent the prophet Samuel because he was so Uh, He was so angry at Saul's disobedience. He sent Samuel to say, you know what? You're You're not king anymore. No more king. That's it. We're done. And as Samuel comes and delivers this word, King Saul tries to defend his actions. He's like, you have, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, they were all going to be destroyed anyway. What I thought was a great idea is if I brought the good cows and the good sheep, the, the good livestock home, I could make a sacrifice to the Lord with them. And Samuel replied to him, what do you think the Lord wants more? Sacrifice or obedience? In other words, he was saying, Saul, when you kept the sheep, you also kept yourself. And when we fail to obey or surrender to the Lord's will, we also say, not this part, Lord. Not this part. But you cannot have saviour without Lord. He cannot be, it cannot be separated. He is saviour and Lord. You do not get one without the other. And if we comply, Matthew Henry's commentary says this about that passage in Matthew we just read. If we comply not with the will of God, we mock Christ in calling him Lord as those did who put on him a gorgeous robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. A.W. Tozer also notes, 
and expressed that he has a feeling that a notable heresy has come into being throughout evangelical Christian circles, which is the widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as saviour and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. He then goes on to state that salvation apart from obedience is completely unknown in the sacred scriptures. Am I a disciple? Now we can only fathom asking that question. We, can on, we only have the privilege of pondering that question because Jesus made a way for us to become a disciple. It's nothing we do. It's all because of what Jesus has done. But it does take an active and intentional action from us to walk in the Spirit. I'll get the band to come if you're here. There is a deeper and a truer way to live in Jesus than just church attendance, just service. And the good news today is this, church, that Jesus is still walking by calling out, follow me. Follow me. He still passes by our hearts right now. Follow me. And my prayer today and over the coming weeks is that you would answer in a resounding and resolute, yes, I will follow. I have decided to completely and utterly be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and by the grace of God, do what he did. Let's pray. Father, we hear your word. We hear your call. I pray now that you would be walking these aisles, walking between the seats, walking past our heart, calling those whose ears have been deafened to hear again, follow me. Opening eyes who have been blind to see you, follow me. That all of our but firsts would be burnt up at the sight of our glorious King Jesus. And we would say a resolute yes, yes, I am coming. I have decided to follow Jesus. We bless your holy name. Amen.